Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today we begin Season 2, Harry Podcast and the Chamber of Secrets. Today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Worst Birthday. So as always, we'll start with a summary of this very brief chapter. It's Harry's 12th birthday, and he is in the middle of spending another miserable summer with the Dursleys. His owl Hedwig is locked up, as are all of his spell books, his broom, and all his school things. He hasn't received any letters from his friends at Hogwarts and is worried that everyone has forgotten about him, which makes him feel really lonely. The mere mention of magic is enough to send Vernon into a towering rage, even when it's just in reference to the word please is the magic word. Harry's only comfort is that the Dursleys don't know that he isn't allowed to use magic outside of school, so they're terrified of him, and he can use this threat to get Dudley to leave him alone, though not without consequence. When Dudley complains to Petunia, she sets Harry to cleaning the house all afternoon. On the evening of Harry's birthday, which the Dursleys ignore completely, Vernon is hosting a dinner party for an important potential business client, so he insists that Harry go to his room, not make a sound, and pretend he's not there. When Harry gets to his bedroom, he finds that someone is already there. So one thing I noticed reading this chapter right off the bat is that there's tons of exposition, just like big block paragraphs where Harry is just like recapping in his head everything that's happened to him and all the characters that he's interacted with from the first book. So what do we think about the way that Rowling uses exposition here? And what are the differences between this and the way that she does it in past or maybe future books too? Yeah, I definitely noticed that as well. It was actually a little bit surprising to me how how heavy-handed the exposition was, um, just from compared to my memory. But I do think that she does a good job actually of weaving in, you know, the most important characters. And I guess nobody really would be reading the second book without reading the first book. It's but, possible, for but sure. But I mean, it's possible, and she doesn't, you know, she wants it to be accessible. But I do think it's a good reminder. I was particularly thinking of for children or for parents reading to children, which is what a lot of, you know, a lot of the ways that this book first got read. I think it is a pretty good recap just saying, okay, these are the characters. Now we remember their names. And it's, you know, it's only the second book. So this didn't become as the characters weren't as, you know, super well-developed or well-known that everyone, of course, knew their names. So I, I initially thought, oh, this isn't, you know, this is kind of a weird way that she's doing it. But I actually think she does it pretty concisely. She does weave it into you know, Harry's thoughts in the first chapter. Yeah, I'd say she does it pretty well right off the bat. I think it's a pretty common thing among um, young adult books, young adult fiction in general, is to like do the full recap every single time there's a new book. Mm -hmm. Because again, you can't count on everyone having read the first one necessarily or remembering what the first one was about. Mm -hmm. Especially when you get into like the later books of the series, it might have been years since someone read the last one right especially if they've only read it when it came out and mm -hmm. then didn't read it again but i think and we'll obviously talk about this in future books but from my memory i think she does this less and less as the books go on i think that's right i think she gets better at adapting it into chapters where it would make sense for there to be exposition mm -hmm. instead of just necessarily the first chapter yeah yeah another way of reading this um because it is sort of boring exposition in this chapter is thinking about how Harry feels. Um, Harry feels really bored throughout all of this stuff. And he's like, I've been abandoned by the wizarding world and I'm stuck in this boring town with this boring family who just ignores me all the time. Um, and so he feels really bored. 
And the reader might also start to feel a little bored reading all of this exposition on all these block paragraphs. And so that's kind of an interesting way of getting the reader to sort of empathize with how the character is feeling. And it's a really good contrast, I think, between that and sort of how the chapter ends with that one line where it's like, oh, there's someone already there on his bed when he gets in. Yeah, I mean, I had forgotten how A, short, and B, you know, kind of boring because nothing really happens. This chapter is... But then, you know, we're introduced to Dobby at the end, even though we don't know who he is yet. You know, mm-hmm. he's there. And we also have the foreshadowing of his eyes that Harry sees in the bushes, although he doesn't know what that is. So there's yeah. these pops of interest, um, even in Harry's kind of miserable, boring existence where he's having the worst birthday. Something I was interested in when starting this book and starting it at the Dursleys is, you know, what is the difference between Harry's experience at the Dursleys now and the last time he's seen them? So I think in a lot of ways, there's no difference, which we'll talk about. But I think it's interesting to see, I guess, the slight shift in power that Harry does have now with the Dursleys. Um, Although he's treated terribly and even in some ways worse than the first book, he has this sort of aura around him of protection almost because they are afraid of him. And this fear started at the end of his time with the Dursleys last summer um, because all the, you know, things were happening around him Mm -hmm. and then with Hagrid's arrival and the pigtail and all that. But I think it's this more subdued, you know, strange... It's not respect, but it's like a... It's a fear and tiptoeing around Harry, but in a way that, you know, leads to them punishing him more, which is what I think happens a lot when we are scared of people we or we don't understand what they're doing we maybe put more punishments on them and i think that's kind of interesting yeah watching this whole dynamic change um between the dursleys and harry was really interesting because yeah as you said like they had complete authority over him in the last book and then that started to shift right at the end of the summer and now they still try to act like they have complete authority over him but harry is starting to realize that he can rebel a little and get away with it because they are so afraid of him. And and as the books go on, I think he'll start to realize more and more how much they fear him and how he can use that to create more independence and self-determination for himself. Yeah, and I think the power that he has over specifically the different the three different Dursleys is interesting, and we can talk more about that. One thing that is also an interesting contrast is how Harry is treated at the Dursleys compared to how he has just been treated at Hogwarts for the past year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's basically been treated as a celebrity and a hero, whether he is, um, you know, whether people hate him or love him, he's very known and everyone pays attention to him. And now it's his birthday and nobody, you know, cares in the Dursleys' home. They completely ignore him. Yeah. And, and it's the complete opposite of how he's treated at Hogwarts. Like, he even says to himself while he's spreading manure on the garden bed, and he's like, oh, I wish they could see famous Harry Potter now. Because mm-hmm. it's like, on the one hand, it is like, you know, it's a complete reversal of fortune. And on the other hand, too, it's like kind of saying to all those people at Hogwarts who maybe just think that he's an empty-headed celebrity or that he, like, has it really easy because he's so well-known and well-regarded. It's like, yeah, but my life kind of sucks, too. You know, it's not easy for me to be Harry Potter. Because I still have to go through this every summer. And this was my life for 10 years. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean, it is interesting that he does have such extremes, especially 
in these few years where he is going back and forth between the Dursleys and Hogwarts, you know, during the summer. Mm-hmm. And so it's just so extreme. It's either he is the most famous person in the school or he is, you know, treated like shit and ignored completely. And I think that that is super interesting for his character development in general as a person. It was like, you know, you're you're never kind of treated like a normal person either way. And I think yeah. that leads to both, you know, positive and negative character traits for Harry as he grows up. So It's got to affect him. I mean, either he's uh, special because he's a freak or he's special because he's like the chosen one, you know? Yeah. He never gets to be just Harry, as he said in book one. Yeah. And I think this is similar to the way um, Tom Riddle was uh, treated or how he came to view Hogwarts as his real home because his um, home life was so terrible as well. Yeah, very similar. I think um, one of the things that we and Harry learn in this book is about Voldemort's past and Mm -hmm. about his upbringing. Um, And we don't learn very much about Tom Riddle in this book, but we do learn some. And what we learn is that he desperately wanted to stay at Hogwarts over the summers, just like Harry does. Right. And they have a very similar conversation with their headmasters. Mm-hmm. Tom Riddle begging Professor Dippet and Harry begging Professor Dumbledore both to stay at Hogwarts over the summer. And basically, both of them think of Hogwarts as their real home. And I think Harry starts to do a lot of self-reflection and think about, you know, how similar am I really to the young Voldemort? Yeah. And why? Why is that? Yeah, and I think that, you know, starting out this bookend season, um, thinking about the Chamber of Secrets as this book where we do learn some about young Tom Riddle, and, you know, also this book is not not usually a favorite book. It's not my favorite book, but I think it'll be really interesting to explore more, um, especially the idea of maybe seeing this sort of parallel between Harry and Tom Riddle, and also just kind of exploring empathy for young Tom Riddle in a certain way, or if not empathy, then just, you know, understanding, I guess, Mm -hmm. of his, of his young experience and what perspective we get from this book. Yeah. I think maybe one of the most important things to take away from this book is we'll get to it at the end, but it's that choices define you. Tom Riddle and Harry both start out in basically the same place, but because of things that happened to them in their past and who their family was, they make drastically different choices and Harry becomes a hero and Voldemort becomes the villain. And then, but, but they could have gone either way really if they had made different choices. So that ultimately becomes the defining part of this book. So we touched on this briefly already, but I want to dive more into it. Now we have this idea that the Dursley's attitudes towards Harry have changed a little in the last year, especially given that they're a little more afraid of him now. So let's explore that a little more with each character. So how about uh, Uncle Vernon? Yeah, well, what's interesting to me about Uncle Vernon's character and his relation to Harry and the fear of magic is that whereas at the end of last summer, um, you know, that's really Uncle Vernon's dramatic moment where we see him railing against magic itself and trying to keep out the letters, trying to run away from them, trying to really deny this and push it away and he's still in this like denial and fear place but I think now it's more focused directly on Harry himself because Harry is now the like conduit of magic um for Uncle Vernon so Mm -hmm. he is now saying like if I punish Harry as much as possible if he even thinks about magic says the word magic 
um, you know, even this evening of his Harry's birthday that we're discussing, he literally says, pretend you don't exist, you know, go to the room and you pretend that you don't exist because I'm going to be constantly pretending that you don't exist, basically. (laughs) Um, And he puts the owl in the cage. So that's, you know, also locking up magic, but it's more preventing Harry's communication. I think that's just interesting that it's, you know, on one hand, it seems like the way he has been acting towards Harry is always the same, but I think that it's a little bit more directed now and more like complete denial and forced control of Harry and thereby the wizarding world. Dudley was a character that interested me a little bit um, in this chapter. What do you think about the way Harry reacts or Dudley reacts to Harry? Yeah, I think Dudley, he sort of reacts more predictably. We already know that he's like a bully and I think he reacts like a lot of young bullies react to fear, which is that he tries to get through it by just intimidating the fear away But when that doesn't always work, when Harry stands up for himself, he just is terrified. He just runs away screaming, almost literally. Um, When Harry threatens to set a hedge on fire, he just runs away to tell his mom immediately. Even just Harry saying the word magic at breakfast causes Dudley to fall out of his chair out of fright. Like, he's completely terrified. Mm -hmm. And and anything that Harry says or does um, in reference to magic is going to terrify him. But he still does try to bully Harry. He remembers that it's Harry's birthday and that no one has remembered it except for him, possibly, and that none of Harry's friends have contacted him. His aunt and uncle obviously aren't celebrating it. So he tries to like poke fun at Harry in that way. And I think you would you would ask me maybe like, why did he remember that Harry's birthday was that day? Mm-hmm. Because it's not obvious that he would remember it. He's kind of portrayed as dumb and he doesn't like Harry. So why would he care to remember something like that? Um, and my idea was that he might remember it because of the traumatic experience he had last time Harry had a birthday when mm-hmm. uh, a giant wizard broke into their hut and gave him a pigtail. Yeah, I think that that is, you know, maybe true that he has that memory and he's really not going to forget Harry's birthday anymore because that was like the worst day of his life up till now. Possibly. I also think that Harry, the way that Harry reacts to Dudley is he's a little bit more um, able to kind of tease him and stand up to him because Dudley is so afraid of him. So I think you mm-hmm. had, there was a funny quote that you'd thought of that he said in this chapter. Oh to yeah. Dudley. Dudley says, uh, I know what day it is, you know, in reference to it being Harry's birthday. And Harry goes, well done. You finally learned the days of the week. Yeah. We see that Harry continues to get more and more snarky towards Dudley as books, as the books go on now, as he gets older. Yeah. And not just snarky, but like actually taunting him yeah. overtly. It's not just like a, oh, Dudley's too stupid to understand this joke thing like he used to do in the first book. It's yeah. like a, actually like I'm overtly making fun of you to your face. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Petunia to me was a really um, compelling character in this chapter because, you know, she always is. And on this read through of the series, I'm finding her more and more fascinating. Um, you know, she seems to agree with all of Vernon's treatments and punishments of Harry and she pretends he when Harry pretends to do magic in front of Dudley, she punishes him by doing housework, which is very cruel for a child that young, the amount that she gives him, but it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, and I think actually there's a clue in here that she might know more than she's letting on, or that she might understand or sympathize with Harry just a touch more than her family does, which is that there's a quote, it says, she knew he hadn't really done magic. Mm-hmm. And the way that the book explains this in the narration is that the hedge wasn't damaged in any way. Mm -hmm. 
But that's not really true. If you have a full understanding of magic, you would know that you can conjure fire without damaging anything. Mm-hmm. Hermione does this again and again. And Petunia might know about that if she knows about like Lily's magic, because mm-hmm. Lily was very gifted at charms. And so the fact that she, quote, knew he hadn't really done any magic, unquote, um, might say to us that she understands a lot more than we give her credit for about magic, and that she, in in sort of giving him this, like, you know, labor around the house, she's keeping him busy. She's keeping him out of trouble with Dudley and Vernon, basically. Yeah, and she may know that he isn't allowed to do magic outside school because she probably knew that Lily wasn't allowed to do magic. Yeah, unless the laws have changed in the last 25 years or whatever. Yeah, but I I would imagine that that's definitely something that families, especially muggle families, know. I would actually bet that she's, if she doesn't know this, she's not saying anything because she doesn't want to reveal her actual knowledge about the wizarding world. I don't necessarily think that it's, you know, she wants to protect Harry or give Harry, uh, you know, she wants to give Harry some of this power. I think it's that if she said this, it would be like Vernon would freak out. And I think she's always kind of trying to hide her own knowledge um, and be as normal as possible. For sure. I think like her entire life since Lily became a witch has been a rejection of wizard culture Mm -hmm. and of magic in general. I think we even have mentioned, and I would probably argue, that her marriage to Vernon is maybe the most overt example of that. He's mm-hmm. someone that represents the opposite of magic. He hates magic. He hates the he hates everything that isn't normal. Right. He's completely normal, completely boring, and he is absolutely intolerant of anything that is not normal. Mm-hmm. And so she marries him as a rejection of everything untoward and and different. Um and I think yeah, I think you're right. I think she does pretend not to know anything about the wizarding world because she doesn't want any part of it. Because she feels like it's rejected her, and so she wants nothing to do with it. And she may be repressing that knowledge or just hiding it um, because she doesn't want anyone to know how much she knows about it. Because even she doesn't want to know that. Right. I think it's kind of, again, I don't think she's really, it's more about protecting herself than protecting Harry in this situation. But I do think it's something to kind of keep an eye on is, um, you know, how Petunia may actually feel some deep down affection for Harry because of, you know, her inevitable love for her sister, even though she had such a complicated relationship with her. Yeah, for sure. I think there is some of that. And we'll see it mostly just come out in Order of the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. In that one revelatory chapter where she reveals that all along she knew all this stuff about the Wizarding World, that she was in touch with Albus Dumbledore, Mm -hmm. and that she has been complicit in harry's magical protection all these years and i think she only had she only reveals it because it has to happen right and and we'll get to that eventually but it really is a great moment for her character and the way that vernon reacts to it is pretty pretty funny he's just completely in shock yeah so i think it would make a lot of sense if she just hid everything that she knew about it yeah and just one thing to look out for um when we get to next chapter is that harry is wondering why his friends haven't written him and he believes it's because they've abandoned him already. Mm-hmm. They've forgotten about him. Um, but from what we know about Ron and Hermione, they're pretty loyal friends. Right. And they're very thoughtful. So let's keep this in mind when we get to next chapter. 
Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Worst Birthday. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. Feel free to email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com with any questions or comments you have. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we continue our discussion with Chapter 2, Dobby's Warning. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.